Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So welcome back to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, Chairman of Colorectal Surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm very pleased to have one of my staff members here and a good friend, Dr. Michael Valente, who's an Associate Professor of Surgery at Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. Mike's also our Program Director for uh, our illustrious fellowship in colorectal surgery. Mike, welcome to uh, Butts and Guts. Thank you, uh, Dr. Steele, it's a pleasure to be here. So tell listeners a little bit about your background, how to come to the point, where you're from, where'd you train that you wound up here at the clinic? So I actually grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm uh, born and raised here. Uh, West side, east side? Born at Marymount Hospital, lived on the uh, west side. Uh, for most of my life, and I live in uh, Brexville, Ohio. Where'd you train? I, uh, I trained at uh, for general surgery at Akron City Hospital down in Akron, Ohio, and then did my colorectal fellowship down in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So, Mike, we're going to talk today about something that is all too common. Over a million visits to the doctor in the United States alone every year, and that's hemorrhoids. So, uh, let, let's start out 10,000-foot level. What's a hemorrhoid? It's a good question, Dr. Steele. Hemorrhoids are actually part of our normal anatomy. Every single person listening to this podcast has hemorrhoids, um, whether you know it or not. Most of the times you don't even know that you have them. They're part of our normal anatomy. And really what they are is a conglomeration of blood vessels that sit in the anus. So they're there for normal, normal function. And what type of function do people have that hemorrhoids would be able to do? Hemorrhoids in their normal resting state uh, fill with blood and they help uh, actually keep some continence or control of our gas or bowel movements under normal circumstances. So I get a lot of people that will go online and they'll have some anorectal complaints. And one of the very first things that comes up is hemorrhoids. And one of the first things that you'll see are external hemorrhoids versus internal hemorrhoids. What's the difference between the two? Internal hemorrhoids are, uh, as the name states, inside they're internal. So those are usually uh, cushions of uh, blood vessels that are not able to be seen by the naked eye, they're inside. And internal hemorrhoids usually uh, are a cause of rectal bleeding. Uh, they can cause pain sometimes if they swell and bulge or, or prolapse. External hemorrhoids are usually what we could see uh, from the outside. Those are also referred to as sometimes skin tags. Um, and um, sometimes external hemorrhoids can be quite painful if they become what we call thrombosed external hemorrhoids. So Mike, you said a little bit ago that every single person, and those are gonna be a lot of listeners out there that would uh, disagree that they have hemorrhoids. But you, you know, you brought up a good point that they serve to act as little ball valves together so that you don't have seepage. They're your last little line of defense in the war to preserve continence. But one of the things is, is that patients get them removed. So if they're normal and everybody has them, I don't understand this. Why would somebody need to have their hemorrhoids removed? No, that's a great question, and uh, I, I discuss this with my patients every week. When hemorrhoids become problematic or troublesome, they, they become what we call hemorrhoidal disease, and, and that's when these normal hemorrhoids that do serve a function become abnormal. And what I mean by that is they um, overfill with blood or they become lax or loose and they prolapse or herniate down. And, and really the hemorrhoids at this stage are causing more problems than they're doing good. And what I mean by that is they may bleed, which is one of the most common problems with hemorrhoids that we see. They can cause pain with the prolapse, quite debilitating pain sometimes. Um, they secrete mucus and they may cause trouble with the keeping hygienic down there as well. So when it reaches 
that point where they become so troublesome, that's when we recommend some sort of intervention. Okay, so let's take a step back and we'll go back up to the symptoms that patients go. You mentioned that patients can have bleeding. Is the bleeding associated with hemorrhoid any different from other sources of bleeding along the GI tract? Yes and no. Most hemorrhoidal bleeding occurs with bowel movement or during the act of defecation. And a lot of times that bleeding is a bright red in nature and it usually may drip into the toilet, but usually associated with the act of having a bowel movement. Other causes of gastrointestinal bleeding can be more severe or more uh, volume, if you will, and maybe associated with other conditions that are more serious. Are there some hints that you might get that you may say, hey, this is hemorrhoidal bleeding versus some more benign disorders that uh, are in the anal rectal region that you would say, hey, this is associated with another diagnosis? When we usually talk about hemorrhoidal bleeding, it's what we would call a painless bleeding most often, as opposed to bleeding that occurs uh, with a bowel movement that may cause severe sharp pain that would point us towards something called an anal fissure. If we're gonna talk about the symptoms that patients get, when should they go and see the doctor? It's a great question. When the patient is having rectal bleeding, we do recommend that they do come to see us because it very well may be just hemorrhoids, but you need to have a, a trained professional a colorectal surgeon, if you will, or even your family doctor really investigate that because even though hemorrhoids do bleed and it's a major cause of anal or rectal bleeding, there could be other causes that we must rule out first. So if I go to the doctor with or without hemorrhoids or suspicion of hemorrhoids, what can I expect at that doctor visit? At the colorectal surgeon's office, for example, a very detailed history, asking a lot of questions about the type of bleeding, when it's occurring, and then after a good conversation about maybe leading us towards a diagnosis, a good examination in the office is compulsory. And what I mean is usually that consists of a rectal examination and sometimes uh, the use of a what we call an anoscope, a small device that usually has a light on it to evaluate the most uh, distal part of the rectum and anal canal. Mike, are hemorrhoids cancer or can they turn into cancer? No, uh, hemorrhoids are not cancer. Uh, hemorrhoids do not turn into cancer. But what, what I want to emphasize is many patients have been told they have hemorrhoids or potentially just chalk up their symptoms to quote-unquote hemorrhoids, and they may be missing a more serious diagnosis like rectal cancer or anal cancer. Is that common that it'd be cancer, or is it more common that it's going to be hemorrhoids? It's most common that it's going to be hemorrhoids, but we don't ever want to take any chances. Yeah, absolutely. So what causes hemorrhoids? Many things, multifactorial, we like to say. And I tell a lot of my patients, sometimes hemorrhoids are just an act of one's aging process where the hemorrhoids themselves are getting loose and, and they tend to uh, have the effects of gravity like other body parts may as well. We do see hemorrhoids in very young people as well. And I think one of the most common causes of hemorrhoids is a lack of a good diet and exercise. What I mean by that is people who don't have a good dietary intake of fiber tend to be constipated, tend to spend a lot of time on the toilet, a lot of time straining on the toilet to get a bowel movement to come out. And those definitely precipitate hemorrhoidal disease. Let's focus in a little bit about in terms of um, treatment or even first prevention of hemorrhoids. You mentioned fiber. How much fiber does the average Western diet type person take? Yeah, the average Western diet is extremely low in fiber. 
I have the patients tell me all the time, you know, I eat very well. I have salads and I have oatmeal for breakfast and I have lots of fruits and vegetables. And that may be true, but the average American or Western civilized uh, countries maybe get 10 to 15 grams of fiber on the best of circumstances. What we recommend as a society of colorectal surgeons is between 25 and 35 grams per day. And the normal Western diet really can't achieve that goal. And that's where we get into having a supplemental fiber as part of one's daily routine. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, supplemental fibers out there and it's difficult. If I'm a patient, I'm looking at this grocery store aisle full of fiber and I'm thinking, where do I start? What do I choose? Where do I go? Yeah, it's a great question. And and over the last several years, I've, I've made a note to try several ones out to see so I could tell my patients what works best or what works best for them. And, and it's really what works best for your individualized routine. So I recommend, and most of us do, the, the powdered fiber supplements that tend to work the best. And the key ingredient is what we call psyllium in most of the fiber products. And the question goes back to, will it work right away? It does not. It, it's a slow, gradual process where you need to start with a very low dose and work your way up. And every patient is going to have their kind of sweet spot amount that they need each day or every other day, if they will, to get the right effect. Because if one takes too much fiber too quickly, the patient will have some side effects of bloating, gas, and potentially too much bowel movement. And we want to avoid that. So we start slow and and kind of work our way up. I think it's also important that patients understand that with any fiber product out there, you need to make sure you take enough water in there because for sure dehydration can cause symptoms. Mike, you said something a little bit earlier about having good bowel habits and good bowel regimens and that potentially having poor bowel regimens and bowel habits can lead over time to exacerbation of hemorrhoids. What does that mean, having good bowel habits? Yeah, great question. So first thing I want every listener to do is leave your phone outside of the bathroom. Don't take the newspaper, their book, or your iPhone or any other device in there with you. The bathroom is meant for one reason and one reason only, that's to have a proper bowel movement. And what that means is if you have a proper diet with good fiber and enough water intake, your bowel movement should be a very short occurrence. You should be able to sit down on the toilet with minimal straining, if any, and within a few minutes, you should be done going to the bathroom. Anything more than five to 10 minutes, I mean, five minutes really should be the maximum time you spend in the bathroom. So we talked a little bit about prevention with good bowel regimen and fiber being the mainstay of that. Let's focus a little bit more on a couple of myths. So first of all, I take a lot of enriched bread or I take a bunch of oil, flaxseed oil, everything. Is that fiber? No. And if I'm somebody who doesn't want to take the pills or the gummy bears or the the powders, what foods are pretty good in fiber that you can be able to take? Certain breads definitely have a lot of fiber in them, but these are more the whole grains. The more white the bread is, the the least amount of fiber you're going to have in there. Those are things you should avoid. Obviously, oatmeal and other refined grains are quite uh, beneficial as well. Let's say that they don't have somebody that is responding to prevention and they got hemorrhoids. You've gone to the doctor. Are there some therapies that can be done that are short of having an excision that patients could undergo? Absolutely. Honestly, in my practice, over 90% of my patients who receive some treatment do not have surgery. And uh, we generally perform uh, various office-based procedures that work quite well. One of the ones that I read about was banding. Tell me a little about who gets banded and how does that happen and where does it occur? So uh, hemorrhoid rubber band ligation is a technique that's uh, very well tolerated and used widely throughout the world, actually. Patients who have bleeding hemorrhoids, these are for internal hemorrhoids only, the bleeding internal hemorrhoids, 
or internal hemorrhoids that may have some prolapse where they aren't stuck on the outside. So bleeding hemorrhoids and prolapsing hemorrhoids are very well uh, treated with hemorrhoid banding. So hemorrhoid banding takes place after a proper office-based examination. And people always ask me, do I need to take off work? Is this going to be very painful? And it's really not painful. It's more of a pressure sensation. And what that hemorrhoid band does is causes the hemorrhoid to lose its blood flow and allows that hemorrhoid to actually fall off uh, several days later in the toilet usually and don't even notice it. And what that does is it cuts down the size of the hemorrhoid, causes some scarring, and prevents it from bleeding or prolapsing again. Yeah, so the band itself is what we use in order to take up that extra tissue The band is placed around kind of the neck of that extra tissue. And then over the next few days, it'll fall off. You won't even know it's there. So do you get all the hemorrhoids with just one band? Uh, No, we don't. Every once in a while, there may be one particular hemorrhoidal area that's causing a major problem where that one band may do the trick. But usually this is a procedure that requires repeat banding in the office setting, which is once again, very well tolerated. And I tell my patients, it's not going to potentially cure your hemorrhoids. The hemorrhoids are still there in other areas and more of them may form in the future, especially if poor uh, bowel movement habits are, are undertaken still. So, you know, it's not uncommon that I'll have the patient go back two, three weeks after the first hemorrhoid banding to do another one and then potentially another one after that to do the trick. Are there any side effects to banding? Hemorrhoid banding is very safe. There are some side effects that we do talk about during the procedure, and all my patients go home with an instruction sheet to look out for. You know, the biggest thing that can happen in our practice is that if a patient's, say, on a blood thinner, we usually have them stop that. But once you resume that blood thinner, like even aspirin, there could be some severe bleeding that occurs afterwards, which you need to seek medical attention. So in general, they're very well tolerated. Occasionally, you're going to feel a dull ache. A lot of patients out there will get on the internet and read various things, and they might read about a severe infection that can occur with banding, but it's important to know that this is extremely rare. And most of the physicians that use banding have maybe never even seen it associated with banding. But it is something that you might read about, but it's important to put it in perspective. So banding is for internal hemorrhoids. You mentioned that only. Yes. The kind that may prolapse out and the kind that typically bleed or the kind that you may not even know it's there and just causing you to have problems. You don't do banding on external hemorrhoids. What are some other office-based procedures that can be done for hemorrhoids? Another less popular treatment is sclerotherapy. And sclerotherapy works actually very well. Sclerotherapy is the injection of a caustic agent uh, into the hemorrhoidal pedicle itself to cause scarring of the hemorrhoid to stop it bleeding. Sclerotherapy really works well in patients who are on some sort of antiplatelet or anticoagulation medicine where they really can't come off of that. And we like to use sclerotherapy in those situations to help with the hemorrhoids. Some practitioners routinely use sclerotherapy with banding in combination, but um, I would say the vast majority of my patients would get a banding, maybe a sclerotherapy if they can't come off their blood thinner. Yeah. So if you really think about hemorrhoid therapy in broad terms, we're either talking about trying to get rid of them or trying to fix by the anus. And that's where the sclerotherapy works a little bit better on. So we'll kind of skip over some of the infrared coagulation that people may have or SECA therapy. There's all sorts of things that people might have that are more office-based procedures, but the mainstay of therapy for internal hemorrhoids is to have them banded. But then the next thing is for those who fail the medical therapy, who fail or are not candidates for some of the office-based type procedures, goes on to surgery. 
Surgery typically involves two different types of lumps, the removal of them or this ligation that I hear about. Let's start with the ligation first. Sure. What is ligation of hemorrhoids? Ligation of hemorrhoids is a procedure where you're essentially tying off the hemorrhoid mass uh, with suture material usually, and that is usually meant for patients without much external hemorrhoid disease where they really have prolapsing or bleeding hemorrhoids that are quite large or really fail banding therapy. And is that for internal or external hemorrhoids? Those are for internal hemorrhoids. Okay, so if somebody's got a large degree of external hemorrhoids, probably they're not, they're going to need to have something in conjunction with the ligation of that. Correct. Okay, now in terms of the excision or cutting out of the hemorrhoids, there's also two different things in terms of that. We talk about the stapler that's used, or we also talk about the good old-fashioned excision. Mike, when do you decide to use these, and what is the difference between the two? Probably in the last 15 years, a newer uh, procedure called the stapled hemorrhoid opexia or hemorrhoid surgery was implemented. I'll be honest, I don't do that procedure myself. It's something that I think is decreasing in occurrence throughout America. I think that procedure can be performed well with certain types of hemorrhoids. But in my practice, I prefer the excisional hemorrhoidectomy. If we're going to go to surgery to do hemorrhoid surgery, uh, the excision is the way to go. Yeah, so what does that involve? I'm going to go in for a hemorrhoidectomy. What can I expect? And what are you actually doing in there after I go to sleep? So after you go to sleep, we take the internal and external hemorrhoid, and uh, I prefer using a good old-fashioned scalpel, and we cut out the hemorrhoid all the way down to its base, get all the blood vessel and the diseased tissue out, and that includes both the internal and the external part. And then we sew them up with uh, suture material. And that usually is at least two, sometimes three different columns of hemorrhoid tissue. And, and that's under general anesthesia. There's some sort of anesthetic in the operating room. Do you room. remove all the hemorrhoid tissue? Generally speaking, we don't. Um, we remove the vast majority of the problematic hemorrhoid tissue, but we definitely have to leave some hemorrhoidal tissue behind. It does have a function. We really can't take out the entire circumference of the anal hemorrhoids because that would lead to certain complications. If I was a patient that is going to plan on having a hemorrhoidectomy or have one's coming up or thinking about it, what's the post-op like after the hemorrhoid surgery? It's very painful. It, it's, it's a painful operation. I think patients overall tolerate it extremely well, but I think that first week, and I tell my patients, you're not going to like me very much that first week. Potentially, you're going to wonder why you had this done. But Really, with proper pain control, multimodality pain treatment with ibuprofen, sometimes also narcotics, that first week is very tolerable. And after a couple of weeks, you really start feeling really well, and, and you're really happy that he had it done. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate your full honesty. And in reality, I try to tell the patients that, again, this is something that it's a sensitive part of your body. There's no way of getting around it. We'll do our best to control your pain through a lot of different mechanisms. And by and large, most patients do very well, but it is a sensitive area. And the other important aspect is, is that that area of your body can swell and it does take a couple of weeks to completely heal all the way in. So you have your hemorrhoidectomy, you get better with that in time. Can hemorrhoids recur? They can. And how often does that occur? I would say in my experience, not that often to the type of uh, situation where you would need another surgery. Every once in a while, if I, I do a, a good hemorrhoid surgery, a few years later, I may have to put a rubber band ligation back on for another smaller area. But generally speaking, um, if, you, if it's done properly by a well-trained surgeon, you should, you should do very well. So Mike, some last take-home points about hemorrhoids. Number one, everyone has them. Don't be alarmed by the fact that you have them. Number two, proper dietary factors. Drinking at least two liters of water a day, about 64 ounces, is extremely important to help prevent this. 
please get off the toilet as soon as possible. Anytime you have symptoms of rectal bleeding, please don't just chalk it up to saying that you have hemorrhoids without seeing a trained professional to make sure you don't have uh, some other condition that needs to be uh, taken care of. So we're going to end with the four quick hitters. Your favorite sport? American football. Favorite meal? Anything my mother makes. <laughs> When's the last book that you read? Uh, the Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. And you're a native Clevelander, so tell me, what do you like about here at Cleveland? Oh, I love the weather, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. So to learn more, please download our free hemorrhoids treatment guide at clevelandclinic.org hemorrhoids. That's clevelandclinic.org hemorrhoids. And to make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic specialist, please call 216-444-7000. That's 216 216- 444-7000. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here on Butts and Guts. Thanks for having me, Scott. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts. Butts and Guts.